This is Pastor Aaron at Oasis Baptist Church, and thank you for checking us out online. I pray that this message is an encouragement. Good morning. Welcome again to Oasis Baptist Church. If you were with us last week, um, a couple of people have uh, approached me and asked that I do not make you cry as much as I did last week. Um, uh, but I, I'll, I'll just say it to this. Um, and uh, obviously, I shared a lot of personal stories last week uh, in regards to how this text uh, uh, personally affected my walk in my life. Um, and so with that this week, I hope not to do that as much. But at the same time, not to say this text hasn't uh, impacted me this week. Um, I really believe in God's timing. I really believe the Lord foresaw um, the timing of pastor and, and many being away and, and these exact verses falling uh, on my lap, uh, more so even this week, just because I needed uh, to hear this lesson uh, for me uh, this week. And there's some areas, and I'll share a little bit about that, where some of this is like, man, I need to, to work on this and fix this. So last week, um, we uh, finished verses all the way up through we looked at verse 6 all the way through verse 11, and uh, verse 11 talked about this idea uh, where Paul was uh, sharing his uh, fear uh, for uh, the, the, the Galatians, but also how his labor um, in would, could have been in vain. He said, I'm afraid of you lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain in verse 11. And so we talked about this idea that his uh, presentation, if you will, uh, is shifting right at these two verses, verse 11 and verse 12. He goes from a lawyer-like courtroom scene where he's laying out doctrinal point after doctrinal point after doctrinal point to then making it more uh, personal uh, and in a way a more passionate plea uh, for the Galatian church to return to real Christianity. We saw that reflection um, regarding his labor, regarding how he feared for the believers. We know the, the, the title of this sermon series is Set Free. You've heard this for the last 20 weeks, what the Judaizers were trying to bring back in uh, to the church. You know their mantra, how they wanted to return to the traditions and the works of the law. Um, and, and we laid out last week, that was a return to slavery. That was a return to bondage. Uh, that was a return to salvation uh, being dependent on us in our good works, rather than fully trusting Christ in his, his work on the cross. Um, ironically, this same debate is still creeping into churches today, just as it was then in Galatia. It may have a new name, a new face, but it's the same argument um, that comes at play. Um, so we also see it in, in our daily lives. It might be um, a, a legalistic set of standards or, or do's and don'ts that we place upon ourselves um, with this false idea that we need this list of do's and don'ts to maintain our relationship or our salvation uh, with Christ. And I am so thankful that it is not dependent on me, um, but it is dependent fully on God uh, for that salvation. Having said that, Paul here begins to appeal uh, to his brethren. And, and, and uh, in this study, verse 12, um, really there's two parts to it. And so I'm going to talk about the first part of verse 12 into this introduction because I feel like it overlaps a lot with what we've spoken about the last several weeks. Um, he says the first part of verse 12 says, Brethren, I beseech you, uh, be as I am, for I am as ye are. He, he begins to appeal to his brethren to live by the spiritual freedom that all believers have because of God's grace. He acknowledges through a relationship with Christ, back if you go to Ephesians chapter 2, he acknowledges that Paul died to the law 
that he might live through God. At this point, as I mentioned a moment ago, it shifts from a courtroom scene to a more of a passionate and a personal plea. He doesn't present any additional arguments, but rather a personal and heartfelt exhortation. This exhortation is simple truth, but yet it's presented in a direct and a, in a humbling manner. And it can be perceived that this truth may rub against the hearts of the Galatian believers. It may hurt. It may be harsh. Um, this truth can hurt them from the state of confusion where they currently reside. And we'll, we'll, we'll come to that idea of confusion towards the end. Paul tells the Galatians to live as he lived since receiving Christ. And I want to kind of clear up a, when you read this text in the King James English, you kind of look at it like, wait, 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 Paul is telling the Galatians to be like Paul. Wasn't Paul one to direct people like to Christ? And, and that's not what Paul's saying here. Paul here is saying is live in the freedom that I've lived in since I've accepted Christ. I've put away the law, I've died to the law, and there is freedom in a relationship with Christ. But here's the interesting thing. Before Paul's salvation, was it not common knowledge to the Christians of his day, his past reputation? It was. He was one that was a great persecutor of the church, and we covered all of that uh, through even the first few weeks of this series uh, several months ago. He was known by how he lived, but he was also known currently on how he ministered to them. He abandoned the rabbinic traditions and the law of Moses that he grew up in and was reared in. And uh, if you go all the way back several weeks, several months, he was an expert in the law. Um, they know how he lived. They know what he abandoned, but they saw change in him. Paul introduced the Galatian believers to this freedom, and he appeals to them not to return to slavery. And so the title of this morning's message is, is The Truth Hurts. Have you ever had a conversation with someone that you love, a dear family member, a coworker, where you've had to pour out your heart and you've had to share the truth with them about something that they're dealing with? And if you share the truth with them, chances are it's not going to be the most like warm feeling like, oh, this is so encouraging. Thank you so much. Sometimes we share the truth and the truth um, does exactly that. It hurts. It, 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 it goes to the heart. But as Christians, whether we are a believer this morning or if we are a, uh, or someone who doesn't have a relationship with Christ, I want you to know that the Bible is God's Word. That's a, that's a stated fact. Um, but it's also the truth. The Bible says of itself that thy word is truth. The Bible says that the word is, is inspired. It's breathed of God. And uh, no other book in history makes that claim. Um, no other book can hold to that title. But when it comes to the, the message of the Bible, the truth of the fact that we are sinners and we are in need of a Savior and that we in and of ourselves cannot work our way to heaven, that's, that's pretty harsh news, is it not? Is that like, wait a minute, I can't be good enough. I can't fix this. If you know anything about me, you can ask my wife. I try to be Mr. Fix-It ASAP. One of the lessons I've learned in the last seven years of marriage is that if my wife and I have a disagreement, I cannot flip a switch in her like I can flip a switch in me. Like, and, and that's just an honest, um, and, so, so, and, and it's the way God designed us. It's the way we're wired differently. And I'm probably going to answer for this illustration later. Um, having said that, um, when it comes to the truth of the Bible, it's presented in a way that is going to 
it's going to hurt at us. It's going gonna, it's gonna to, like, I'm a sinner. I'm in need of a Savior. And the Bible says I'm going to a place called hell. That's not the greatest news in the world. But in Romans 5, 8, it tells us that the wages of sin um, is death, but it says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so, yes, the Bible shares truth. The Bible is like a mirror. I don't know about you, but when I woke up this morning, I did not look like this. My hair was going in 17 different directions. Um, halitosis was on, was ferocious this morning. There's a brushing of the teeth. When you look in the mirror, you see imperfections and you try to fix them, right? Or you try to conceal or you try to work some magic or whatnot. Um, when we look at the Bible, it ought to be a mirror to us. And when we look at the truths that it lays out to us, not just truths of a salvation relationship with Christ, which is the focus of what we're talking about today, but the truth of how we ought to live, the truth of how we ought to govern our walk, the truth of what we ought to say, what we ought to do. Um, well, the Bible doesn't specifically say, I can't do this, this, and this. No, but it's chock full of principle after principle that says, hey, don't do this or don't do that. The Bible was written over, over, <laughs> over 2,000 years ago by 40 different human authors that were inspired by God to pen 66 books that we have today as the Bible. Um, and yet we look at it like um, a twice-a-day, twice-a-week textbook. Well, maybe at Life Groups we open it up, or maybe we bring it to church. Um, this book is a mirror that's going to show us what adjustments we need to make. The question is, is when we look in the mirror, are we going to acknowledge those imperfections? And then are we going to take steps to address them? So when we see those imperfections, when we see these truths that may come across harsh, the main point this morning is simply this. Sometimes we need to hear the harsh truth in order to enact change in our hearts. Sometimes we need to hear the harsh truth in order to enact change in our hearts. Let's pray real quick this morning. God, once again, thank you just for the opportunity uh, to share this message that you've laid on my heart uh, with this year, church. Lord, I pray in these next few moments you, you'd fill me the exact words you'd have me to say that... Um, and you'd work on hearts as you've worked on my heart and continue to work on my heart when it comes to the lessons of this text that I've needed to learn and know this week. Lord, I pray we leave here changed from when we came in this morning. We ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen. We need to hear the harsh truth in order to enact change in our hearts. So we're going to look at verses 12, the second part of verse 12, all the way through verse uh, 20. And then next week, Pastor Aaron will be back and he will close out uh, the rest of chapter four. And so first off this morning, I see a call to remember, Paul's call to remember. He lays it out right there in verse 12. And we'll start there from the beginning. Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are. Ye have not injured me at all. Ye know how through infirmity of the flesh, I preached the gospel unto you at the first. In my temptations, which was in flesh, ye despised not nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Wherein, excuse me, where is then the blessedness you spake of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. In verse 16, he says this, Am I therefore become your enemy? Because I tell you the truth. Paul right here begins to ask a series of questions. 
And some of these questions, if I'm having a conversation with my friend and he were to point these out to me, these are not just like, hey, how are you doing type day questions. These are questions that are deep. They're to the core. Um, In the words of my favorite uh, movie line, Nacho Libre, they're getting down to the nitty gritty. Okay, these are not um, questions that are just like everyday questions. Having said that, he, he lays it out. We talked a little bit about be as I am, as, as I am ye are. Right there in the second part of verse 12, he says, ye have not injured me at all. He, the first question he really kind of lays out is like, do you remember how you treated me? Back in Acts chapter 13, when Paul was on his first missionary journey and he, and he stayed through Galatia, um, he had a physical infirmity. And, and, and they says right there in verse 12, you did not injure me at all. You did no wrong to me whatsoever. When he first journeyed through Galatia on this journey, he was actually rejected by not just some Jews, but he was rejected uh, by Jews and Gentiles because the message of the gospel was for both Jews and Gentiles. In spite of that rejection, in spite of the infirmity that we'll talk about here in a second, God used him to see both Jews and Gentiles accept the message of the gospel. And so when it comes to verse 13, he says this, you know, ye know, how through infirmity of the flesh I preach the gospel unto you at first. Many commentators at this point have varying opinions. They, they kind of guess what this infirmity of the flesh, this thorn in the flesh that Paul had dealt with was. Um, one popular opinion, because of the region of, the, of, the, of where he was at, uh, the humidity, the swamps that he's navigating through, one of the popular opinions is that he contracted malaria. Um, and that's just an opinion. There's another opinion we'll see a little bit later that this um, infirmity may have been blind. Um, and obviously, if you go back to uh, his conversion experience on the road to Damascus, didn't he see a bright light? Didn't his eyes get affected? So that's a plausible explanation as well. Ultimately, we have no idea what this infirmity uh, specifically was. But he said, in spite of that, you chose to accept me. And um, now, because of the timing of this, this illness or this thorn in the flesh, um, while on his journey, it required Paul to stay in the general vicinity of Galatia, whether he needed time to rest or whether he needed time to recuperate. And as I was studying this, I sat back and thought, how many times in my life have I been pushing forward and trying to do this step, this step, this step, and then there's like this like roadblock, there's this detour that takes me the other way, and I'm like, but that's not the plan I wanted to do. That's not the road I was going down. And then at the same time, I'm like, Lord, why is there this detour? Why is there this? And then maybe right there in that detour, there's someone that God wanted you to come into interaction with and speak into, whether it was a past experience or a past uh, a trial or something of that nature. Either way, Paul is there stationary in Galatia for a time to deal with this illness. And this illness was not making Paul and his message to be despised or rejected or even loathed, the first part of 14. He says, "'My temptation, which was in my flesh,' Ye despise not nor reject it. Now, you have to understand the cultural context of this phrase. In the ancient times, in this Hebrew culture, in this time frame, a physical illness was sought as a result of what is the sin that is behind this illness. And you saw that with the disciples in Christ, did you not? Or you saw that with, when Christ was talking about that. And so there's this idea of, well, because Paul has this infirmity, therefore he's, you know, he's, his, his message is null and void. His message could have been null and void simply because of the fact of his past, of what he used to do before Christ. 
But can I tell you something? The transformation that Christ brings in salvation is beyond explanation. It's beyond comprehension. It's beyond our human words that can explain. Because at this time, he's defending to the Galatian church that, hey, you didn't reject me. You accepted me. He said, you accepted me in, that, in the latter part of verse 14. He says, nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Those are some pretty lofty um, compliments that he is, he's throwing to Galatia. So think of it in this context of he, as I said, he's going from that courtroom type presentation and he's going into a more personal approach. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about this towards the end. Um, he's really in a, a, in a parent-like conversation between a parent and a child. And, uh, and you, you start to see the passion there. You start to see um, what the, the, uh, the, how he was treated as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. This is a huge difference compared to the questions that were asked of Paul from when he first received the Lord because of his past. They didn't question how he looked. They didn't look at the outward appearance. They didn't look on the physical infirmity. They knew, the Galatians knew that Paul was God's messenger. Let me ask this question. Do people in your life know you're a child of God? Not because of what you wear, although I made the comment in life groups this week about like, you don't necessarily have to wear a t-shirt saying, I'm a follower of God. And then my wife goes, then why did we get passionate follower t-shirts? And I'm like, nailed it. Um, There goes that illustration. Um, It's a conversational starter in case you haven't got one. Anyways, um, that being said, (laughs) I lost track of where I was going with that. Um, They didn't question how Paul looked. They weren't looking on the physical outside appearance. They were looking on an inward change. They were looking at his heart. And the question I asked is, who do people think you are? Do they look at your clothing? Do they look at your actions? Those all play a bigger part in our overall testimony, our overall lifestyle of, of, as a changed believer. But at the same time, they didn't question it. But look at verse 15 here. This is a pretty, uh, going back to this idea of speaking the truth, uh, it hurts. Um, this is a pretty pointed question. He says, where is then the blessedness ye spake of? Where is then that blessedness? Where is the love? Blessedness literally means here satisfaction or happiness. He's asking, where's our relationship? Where's our friendship? What happened? Where did it go? Have you ever shared with a loved one a plea to leave or to get out of an addiction that can harm their health and their life? I grew up in a home, and I'm not here stepping on toes this morning, but I grew up in a home where I had my grandfather and my grandmother smoking two packs a day. And they and and I obviously I knew the health ramifications of it. I wasn't like Bible thumping them and saying, Jesus says you can't smoke, because it doesn't say that in the Bible. But at the same time, I, I had heartfelt, compassionate conversations with them and I said, Hey, why do you do this? Like, and obviously there's addiction, there's there's a chemical thing there, and there's a lot of stuff going there. I lost my grandfather to lung cancer. I lost my grandmother um, to kidney failure, but at the time she also had lung cancer. And I pled as a young boy, Grandma, Grandpa, please, will you stop doing this? And um, obviously they were adults, they made their own decisions. But I often thought about even the stories represented in the congregation this morning. How many of us have had a loved one or someone going through an addiction that was dangerous and harmful and our heartfelt compassion wasn't to be judgmental but was to restore them to a right state, to restore them to a a right mindset, can't even speak this morning, a right mindset for their health and for their benefit. 
And I don't need to raise a hands, but I guarantee you there's a lot of that represented here this morning. How much more then, based on those conversations, is this point from Paul when it comes to this idea of eternal salvation? We want our loved ones and our, and our friends not to do dangerous habits that are going to harm their health. Why? Because we don't want to see them die in an untimely death. But we're talking about eternal salvation here. We're talking about Paul had already came through Galatia, already preached the gospel. They eagerly received it. They get saved. And then this new wind of doctrine, old wind of doctrine really, comes back from the, uh, from the law. And is trying to reprogram and rewire this salvation that the church of Galatia was experiencing. We're not talking about just a physical death from earth from an addiction. We're talking eternal death and eternal separation from a righteous and a holy God. So you see the weight difference there? If we've had that conversation then, and so this is why I had this conversation this week. You ever wonder why there's like 700 types of Christian churches like in Las Vegas or around the world? A lot of, one of the big reasons is there's, there's main issues and there's secondary issues. The main issue is anything that has to do with salvation. Because there's, the Bible says there's one way to heaven, is there not? And it's through Christ. And it's not through our works, it's through what He did on the cross. Secondary issues might be, well, what do you believe about the text issue or the translation issue? A secondary issue may be, well, what do you believe about the color of the carpet in your church? I say that jokingly because people have split churches right down the middle because they took something as silly as that and made it a main issue. So there's secondary issues, there's main issues when it comes to that. The point here is this. When it comes to eternal salvation, when it comes to the one way to heaven, that's a main issue. If a church, I don't care personally, I don't care what their label is, if they're preaching salvation by grace, through faith alone, and not of works, we're going to be friends, and I'm going to cheer them on. I'm going to be like, yeah, go do it. Is there, is there minor other teachings that we might differ little minutiae on? Yeah. Is there some secondary issues we are far apart on? Yeah. But at the same time, too, like my biggest goal, my biggest heartbeat from this is, hey, just preach the truth of how people need to accept Christ and go to heaven. So the, the weight of that is there. So Paul asks this question, where's this blessedness you spake of? Where is the love? Verse 15. He points out, that he, where's this blessing as he speak of? He says, for I bear you record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Now, when I read that verse first at face value, and I'm thinking the graphic nature of like, like that's interesting. But what he's doing, he's illustrating the point here is that they would have done anything to help Paul. And this is where some commentators think that this affliction that he had, this, uh, this, uh, this uh, infirmity was eyesight related. But this one commentator says this. He says, The Galatians had loved him with a love that would have compelled them to make any sacrifice on his behalf. After only a few years, however, the situation had radically changed. Now Paul asked in bewilderment, bewilderment excuse me, have I therefore become your enemy by telling you the truth? You have that conversation with a friend. It may be about a relationship with Christ. It may be about an addiction. It may be about a life decision. But at some point, Paul here is feeling like a betrayed friend. Rather, he's feeling that he's being treated like an enemy. Have you ever poured your heart out into someone so much and, and want to encourage them to see life change, for them to take it, accept it, believe it, and say, yeah, I'm going to do this, only weeks, months, years down the road to turn right back into the mess they got into? 
To me, I think that goes back to what he was feeling in verse 11. He said, is my work in vain? I'm afraid for you. And so he asked this question in verse 16, am I your enemy for telling the truth? When I first read this, I'm thinking, well, he's questioning personal loyalty. You know, like, am I your enemy for telling you the truth? But ultimately, he's, they're not questioning Paul's loyalty. They're questioning the loyalty of the truth that came from God through Paul. They're changing the message of God to fit their own desires. And can I tell you something? We look at the Galatians and we look at the Judaizers and we say, how could they take the word of God and change it to fit their own desires? Yet we do it every single day in our own life. When we decide to obey that verse, but skip that one. This is the whole counsel of God. Are there books not in the Bible? Is there other religious texts out there? Yes, but this is what God chose to preserve for us today. We have the very mind and the word of God here. But Paul only Paul directs the idea of being an enemy to God, but he also personalizes it as well. They turned from the truth that he had taught them and believed back into a legalistic, systematic means of salvation. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Proverbs 27.6. It says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. You want to know the true definition of a friend? A true definition of a friend is not going to be the one that just pats you on the back and kisses you and says, Hey, you're fine. You're doing okay. Do whatever you want. A true friend is going to tell you the truth, and that truth is going to hurt. I've only been on staff here for two years. I have not, quote-unquote, arrived to a level of spiritual growth. Not, I'm not saying like, hey, I'm here, I'm arrived. But I've had some very passionate and some very honest conversations with not just my pastor but my boss, in a sense, and my friend, Pastor Aaron, where he's pointed out some truths that I had examined. And some of it I just hadn't really examined and really looked back in my life. And, and I looked back and I said, thank you so much for speaking that truth into me. It, I didn't like it when I first heard it. I, it actually hurt, and I kind of wanted to be defensive, and I wanted to kind of push it off. But as I sit back and realize the truth of this verse, Paul, when he's telling the church of Galatia, like, am I your enemy for telling you the truth? He is being a faithful friend, giving them wounds of truth that hurt. He's not being an enemy that's being deceitful. In Ephesians 4.14, he says this, uh, Paul says that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of man and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. You know how we're supposed to guard the faith? We're supposed to know the faith. How do we guard against the attacks from Satan? We have to know the mind and the character and the personality of God. How do we do that? Through his word, the Bible tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. I see this in a cute way with my daughter. And she'll share something with us, and she's so confident that what she's sharing is right. And she's like, Daddy, this is this. And in and, and my dad-like graceless moment, I'm like, no, you're wrong. That's not the truth. Um, I'm working on that. Um, but at the same time, uh, there's times where she'll say something, she'll hear something, and uh, she's very confident in what she's saying. But in reality, it's not always the truth. You see, as children, um, spiritually speaking here, if we're not grounded in the faith, we can be tossed to and fro. We can be brought up something that's like this new belief or this new system. 
Um, I shared this uh, several months ago when I had an opportunity to preach. Um, if you remember, probably 20 years ago, there was this book that came out called The Prayer of Jabez. It was about that thick, thin, and it was this really popular book that just washed through Christian circles and churches. It was a prayer that's been in the Bible for 2,000 plus years, 6,000 plus years probably, and um, there was this huge book that came out, and it taught this idea of if you pray this prayer, God's going to give you all this prosperity and growth. And I was like, it was the same thing as the guy on the TV asking for $1,000, and he gives me a green cloth, and I rub it, and then I don't get any money. I just gave you $1,000. There's nothing coming back. But, um, but here's the thing. We have to be cautious against those teachings that are newer that don't line up with the Word of God. I'm not saying this is from Pastor Dan. I'm saying we have to go back to the Word of God and know it to the point where we can guard against that. And so we have to know that, the, that a real friend is going to give us the truth, and we have to guard from that. But secondly here this morning, Paul shares a caution to be passionate. In verse 17, it says this, They zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you that ye might affect them. But it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing, and not only when I'm present with you. I shared the illustration with my daughter. But have you ever been so passionate about something, and you thought you were right, and you thought you were right, and you were even arrogant like I was and said, Google it. And then when they did, you found out that you were wrong. You ever had that happen? Yeah, that happened to me. And then I felt this small. And, uh, um, and so, uh, but other than that, have you ever had a passionate motivation or have you had this passionate desire to do something, but you had hidden, objects, uh, hidden object, objectives or hidden motivations? That's the caution Paul here is saying. He says, don't be, number one, don't be passionate for the wrong reasons. Because in verse 17, he's talking about the Judaizers being zealous or passionately affect you, but not well, not in a good way. They, they, they would exclude you that they might affect them. The Judaizers, this is interesting because they're, they're so passionate about bringing in this old truth that they think is truth, but it's not. They're so passionate about it, they don't really care for the Galatians. Why? Because they're just putting notches in the belt buckle. They care for themselves. To them, to sway someone back away from grace, back to works, it's, whoop, there's another one. Got them convinced that you need to keep the law in order to keep salvation. They were looking for their own selves because they were looking at it as a work. Have you ever seen somebody with hidden motivations? The intentions may seem good on the surface, but deep down they have their own agenda and it's selfish and they're doing it to their own end. The Judaizers really wanted to shut out the Galatians from God's grace and gain the recognition of works for themselves. Their true motivations was works and flesh based. But there in verse 18 Paul says, but it is good to be zealously affected always in the good thing. He says there's nothing wrong with being passionate as long as you're being passionate about the right thing. During his first missionary journey, Paul early sought the Galatians for their spiritual well-being, not his popularity. He was more concerned about the individual soul and where that person was going to go when they died rather than his own fame. And did we not see that same characteristic with Christ sometimes when he performed miracles? Wouldn't he not tell his disciples, hey, don't go and spread this out? And sometimes the word of mouth would spread, and sometimes he was cautious. Jesus was more about working for the Father and the will of the kingdom and to accomplish God's, the Father's will rather than just being popular. Granted, the crowds and some of those things came as a result. But Paul's passion here was done out of a deep love and a care for their salvation. Ephesians 4, going back to that passage in verse 15, Paul says this, But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. 
Paul gives us a method of how to speak the truth. Have you ever been in a conversation, whether it might have been with a parent, I've done this with my own four-year-old, where you're not exactly speaking the truth in love or you're being spoken to and it's not coming across in a loving manner. Um, granted, were there times as a child where I literally needed to be thumped upside the back of the head? Yes. Uh, one of my favorite memories of that, I spoke a lot about my dad last week and just the realization of the adoption that I became a part of. I remember one day I was behind my mom um, and she had said something to me. And I've disclaimer, I've probably shared this story before. I tend to do that. Um, and uh, she said something to me, and I just went like this behind her back. I'm like, nyeh, 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 nyeh. <laughs> and I just, that's the last thing I remember before this, like, handprint on the back of my lower neck. It wasn't abuse. I needed it. Um, once I picked myself up and gathered my composure and eyesight was being restored and consciousness was there, I looked up, and my dad looked at me, and he's like, do you want to tell your mother what you just did? I really wanted to say, you hit me so hard I forgot. Um, <laughs> But it didn't work that way, and I shared with my mom what I did, and yes, there was consequences. I was apologetic, um, and I'll be honest, I was probably more apologetic at that moment because I got caught and I got punished, um, but at the same time, I told her, I was like, I wasn't exactly, um, and, and he flat out told me, he's like, that wasn't the most loving way to handle that situation, was it? And I was like, nope, but like every time I got disciplined by my father, he would always say these three words. He says, I did this because I love you. And I'm like, still confused about that. But anyways, um, I got hit too hard. That's what it was. But whenever my dad or my parents or my pastors or who, anyone would speak truth, knowing the truth was going to hurt, knowing the truth was going to, to rip apart, knowing the truth was going to reveal imperfections that I saw in the mirror of my life, spiritually speaking, they spoke it in a loving manner. They didn't always thump me upside the head, although in that instance, I needed it. They didn't belittle me. They didn't look down on me and say, you should know better. No, they would come alongside of me in a loving way. But here's where it's convicting to me. Am I the same way with my children? Am I the same way with, I have not hit Kenna upside the head. Don't worry about that. Um, Abby, no, I'm kidding. Um, at the same time, do I have that same heart? to speak the truth in love. Because Paul here is speaking in a context of not just in the courtroom setting. It's a parent to a child, and the passion is there. And he says it's they're being passionate for their own self-motivations. You can be passionate for a good thing. This correct passion should have been a character trait regardless if Paul was there with them or not. Character is often defined as who you are when nobody's watching, who you are when no one is around. Paul warned against the Judaizers, not for his glory or his name or his fame, but he did it for God's glory because they were perverting the true gospel message of Christ. Thirdly and lastly this morning, Paul shows his heart, verses 19 and 20. He says, My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you, I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. Has your heart ever hurt for your children? Have you in a loving way corrected them when they needed it? I can go story after story after story of my parents sitting me down and correcting me when I needed it. Even as recent as Saturday night, we were, uh, we were taking McKenna to a birthday party. And before we went to the birthday party, we went to Costco, or not Costco, we went to Target. Um, and we're walking through like the purse section. And um, I had one of those moments as a dad that probably wasn't the most grace-filled moments. 
Um, but at the same time, too, I, I had asked Kenna. I didn't ask Kenna. I told Kenna. I told Kenna, Kenna, don't touch all the purses as we're going through because they're, you know, I grew up with my dad always saying, if you break it, you buy it. And I'm just sitting there thinking, don't mess up these purses. They're not cheap. Um, actually, they're at Target. They are pretty affordable. Uh, <laughs> so, not that I know that. Um, so she's touching through it. And then I tell her, hey, stop doing this. And she keeps doing it. Instant dad mode turns on, and I'm just like, Kenna! And um, so I pull her aside, and I get down on my knee, and this is where, thankfully, the grace of the Lord took over. And I said, hey, what did I just tell you to do? And she said, to stop touching the purses. And then I asked her, what did you do? She's like, I kept touching the purses. And I'm like, was that obedience or disobedience? She goes, it was disobedience. And then I asked her the graceless question of all time, what happens when you disobey? I get spanked. I'm like, okay, so stop disobeying. She goes, okay. And then I have a very heart-to-heart conversation with my wife later, and she says to me in a very loving way, you got to work on how you deliver that. you got to work on being more graceful. you got to be working on more passion. And, and she didn't know to use the exact words, but when, what she said to me, that's what came across my mind. And I sat there, and I was like, how many times have I messed up and done something that God has told me to do or not to do, and then I continue to do it? Not for God to blow up on me and say, come on, you should know better. But it was the patience that God exercised. It was, it was the loving kindness, whether it was through a friend telling me, hey, this truth is going to hurt, but you need to hear it, or whether it was some life circumstance or life trial that came across my path, and I'm like, God, why is this happening? Oh, probably because I need to learn this lesson, or maybe because I need to draw closer to you as a result of it. Paul here speaks in the more personal sense as a parent with their children. As I said many times before, he's not arguing like a lawyer before a jury. He is pleading like a parent, explaining this truth to a child. You see, Paul loved this body of believers in Galatia, even though they were being led astray. And an example of that love is shown in 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 7 through 8, where he says, But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you, not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because ye were dear unto us. You see, Paul here lays it out with the phrase, my little children, that I love you. He's not, when I first read this text, I originally thought he was belittling them. He's like, my little children, you should know better, as I really studied it out. It's like, no, Dan, you were wrong. That was not Paul's heart with that. His heart was that of compassion. His heart was that of cherishing these children. In verse 19, it says, Of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. He's drawing this illusion, this illustration, that it doesn't make sense to be born after they've already experienced spiritual rebirth. I mean, does it make sense? If you go all the way back to Nicodemus, remember how he couldn't get the concept of being born again originally? It's like, do I, get, do I go back on my mother's womb a second time? Here, Paul's bringing a step further, saying, Church of Galatian Christians, you've already been saved. You've already been born again. It makes absolutely no sense to be reborn after re-being born again. So that just makes it really confusing. So there's born, there's been, born again. He's like, it doesn't make sense that way. Um, he says, but now you're acting as if you need to be spiritually born all over again. Paul would not stop teaching this mentorship process with those that he ministered to 
until the character of Christ is formed inside of them, not an outward appearance. He says, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. You want to know the heartbeat of every pastor, of every spiritual leader, of every mentor in any type of discipleship type relationship? It's not so that this new believer, this new Christian outwardly looks like the Christian they ought to be. It's that inwardly Christ is formed inside of them. It's a change of character. It's a change of lifestyle. It's an old creature becoming a new creature. And can I tell you something? That process of becoming, having the mindset and the character of Christ, it's not something we complete. It's an ongoing process of faithfulness to do that. But don't let that discourage you. Don't let that hold you back because he wouldn't stop that. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, here's the verse that we had alluded to earlier. He says, but we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same and changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. I said this earlier with the illustration. When we look at the Bible, it's a mirror. When we look at the mirror in the morning, we're fixing our imperfections. I hope we are. When we look at the spiritual mirror of Scripture. We ought to be fixing the imperfections and the truth that hurts that comes towards us. Because if you look at Galatia here, Paul is pouring out his heart. Paul is pouring out a caution to be passionate and zealous for the right thing. But Paul's also calling back into remembrance that friendship. But in verse 20, it's interesting. He says, I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. His desire was that this message was not done through a letter. His desire was that he was face-to-face with them having this conversation so they could see his body language, so they could see the tone of his voice, so they could see the passion beyond the words of a paper. When Rachel and I were dating, up until we got married, we used to write each other a lot of notes. I have a shoebox of them. Um... In fact, I was looking at wedding pictures this past week, uh, cleaning up some computers, and I came across a picture of her holding a handwritten note that I had, that I had wrote to her for, on the day of our wedding. And I was sitting back thinking, number one, hey, I need to get back to writing notes to my wife, uh, stinking text message and phone call technology. But at the same time, what Paul here was saying is, look, I want you to be on just the note, the handwritten, because at times travel and circumstances and whatnot have them separated, and this is his way of going back and communicating. There may have been a time where he wasn't able to get back there for a certain amount of time, but now he's writing this letter. Um, in, in, in most cases, he used a, 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 a uh, someone uh, to write the letters for him. Most commentators are saying now that this part of the passage, Paul's probably writing himself um, in, in spite of the infirmity that he has. Um, but he says this. He says, I wish I was there with you so you can hear my voice, you can hear my tone, you can see my heart. But like verse 11 ended last week with the phrase, I am afraid of you lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Verse 20 kind of ends on a little bit of a, what I like to call a sour note. He literally says, for I stand in doubt of you. I stand in doubt of you. In other translations, that word doubt means perplexed or confused. He says, you're confused. Like, I'm confused for how you believe this way. In a way, one commentator said he was at his wit's end. He poured out his entire heart for them. 
He could not understand how they could have been taught the gospel so well, <coughs> believed it so genuinely, and then appeared to have forsaken it so quickly. That's the heart of a pastor, I believe. And I see it with Pastor Aaron. I see it at times when I, when I present the word that our passion is that people understand the freeness of what the gospel message is. You may be here for a first time this morning. You may have been here for several years at Oasis. The gospel message simply is the fact that Jesus died on the cross for your sin. And he didn't just die on the cross. Three days later, he rose again from the grave. He conquered sin and death. He literally stepped over death and conquered it and made a free payment for us to go to heaven. All we have to do is accept it. We don't have to do a list of read your Bible X amount of days, give to the church X amount of times, attend church X amount of weeks in a month. No, no, no. None of that is listed in Scripture as a means to salvation. The only means to salvation is simply by placing our faith and trust in Christ and beginning that relationship with Him. But as a pastor, that's our passion. John Stott says this, though, another commentator. He says, the church needs people who... And listening to their pastor, listen for the message of Christ. And pastors who, in laboring among the people, look for the image of Christ. Yes, we have Bible verses on the screen. Yes, we encourage you to, to read the Bible. Just this past week, I was reminded, and I forgot to mention this at the beginning of the message, but uh, Carolyn Porter, a, a lady, a member of our church, she's currently in a at a rehab hospital facility. She should be going home tomorrow. Um, she had said something, and uh, at first, she just you can ask Mike and Brenda. They were there with me. She kept saying, I just love Pastor Aaron. I just love Pastor Aaron. And then uh, Mike said, stop it. You're going to give Pastor Aaron a big head. Um, but this is the one thing she said that just struck with me. She says, every Sunday after a message, I go home with my Bible, and I look up all those passages that he spoke about, and I match what the Word of God says with what Pastor said. And I was like, that's it right there. Don't just take our word for it. Don't just take the screen's word for it. Open up your Bible. This is the very word of God. Take God's word for it. Our goal <clears throat> as pastors is to preach the message of Christ. But our goal beyond that as pastors is to labor and to work. Can I tell you something? Yes, ministry can be considered labor and this or whatever. I'm spending time with my family when I'm at church. Yes, there's work involved when it comes to family. We all know that. Whether it's a joke, whether it's cutting up, or whether it's me just being, hey, I got to be real and just tell you, hey, this is what you're doing and you shouldn't do it. That's what love is. That's what a relationship with is. That's what speaking the truth that hurts is. And, and, and my goal is not necessarily my individual goal, but it's the message that Paul's preaching here is that Christ be formed in you. Why do I have one-on-one -on -one discipleship with men during the week? Not so they could be a spit image and a regurgitation of what Pastor Dan said. No, I want men's character to be changed to that of the image of God. So they can lead their families. So they can lead their children. So they can have that passionate plea and, and direct not only their children in the, in the everyday aspects of life, but when it comes to the very truth of the Word of God. We as a church need to listen for the message of Christ. 
But we as laborers of the gospel, not just pastors, but members of the church entirely, ought to look for the image of Christ in each other. Not point fingers and say, hey, you should be at this point, spiritually speaking, because I was there at that point. No, no, no. Everyone's got their own journey and their own growth. The road to the gospel is one road, and that's through Christ. So in conclusion this morning, have you ever had to speak the truth to a friend, though it hurt? Did you hold back? Did you hesitate? Is there someone right now you can think of, you know what, there's a family member, there's a loved one, there's a friend, there's a coworker, I need to have an honest conversation with. One of the toughest conversations I had in most recent years was probably about three months before I was leaving my job at Costco and I was transitioning from the previous ministry to here. I had an honest conversation with several of my coworkers and I said this, I said, I apologize for not being more passionate about sharing my faith with you. And some of them were kind of weirded off by it. And they're like, what do you mean? I said, I should have cared about you more to share with you the truth of the gospel way sooner than now. And I had that conversation with several coworkers, several coworkers throughout the time that I was there. And I used to ask that question, talking about that detour earlier. God, why am I here? I got to see two coworkers come to know the Lord as their Savior while I was there. And I'm like, what? It wasn't full-time ministry. It was cutting steaks and throwing stinky fish in a cooler every day. But at the same time, that detour, God had me there for such a time. Have you have a, do you have a truth that you need to speak to a friend about, even though it may hurt? But can I remind you? Speak it in love. Don't hit them over the head with it. Have you shared the need of salvation and a genuine relationship with Christ? Not a list of religious activity, but have you shared the need of salvation to friends and loved ones? I won't do this by raise of hands, but I guarantee you, if I were to ask right now by a raise of hands, who knows somebody that needs to, know, needs to have this relationship with Christ, whether it's a family member, a friend, or a coworker, I guarantee you over 85% of our hands will go up. Thirdly, are you willing to share the truth with someone, even if it hurts, but it restores them to right living? <clears throat> Do you know of a Christian friend, a brother, or sister that is living in a way that's not right, but you have the opportunity through the love of God to share the truth with them, to restore them to right living. You see, Paul here is pouring out his heart to the church of Galatia. I told my wife this, uh, this past weekend, I was like, I really feel like this is like the climax of the entire book study because he's going from laying doctrine to doctrine to doctrine to now bringing it home and being personal. He's pleading, he's begging, and he's pouring out his heart and soul for them to return to the truth. Sometimes we need to hear the harsh truth and to in, or in order to enact change in our hearts. Let's pray. Again, thank you for checking us out online. If you have never been to one of our services, it would be such an honor to have you as one of our guests. If you have made any decision today, our staff would love to celebrate with you. Would you please email us at info at oasislv.church.